Hello and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. This week, I uncover the captivating journey of Palin Gench, a versatile photographer from Istanbul, Turkey. With a diverse range of talents, Palin specialises in landscape, travel and minimalist photography, weaving her unique touch into every frame she captures. Her artistry shines through her love for long exposures, a technique she elegantly merges across genres. Her distinctive signature embraces soft, calming colours and a minimalist approach, crafting a serene atmosphere in her long exposure compositions. The magic continues in her black and white creations, where her minimalist finesse intertwines seamlessly with graphics, light, shadow and contrast. Her artistic achievements have graced various exhibitions and platforms in Turkey, including collective photography projects spanning life, street and landscape photography. Internationally, Palin's work has been featured in both digital and print magazines. She shares her insights through photography blog posts, offering workshops on time-lapse and filter techniques with long exposure photography. Venturing into the realm of NFT art, Palin presented her captivating works as digital collectors starting in 2022. Presently, she collaborates on collective photography projects with a blend of local and international talents, continuously expanding the horizons of her creativity. Join me as we delve into the artistic odyssey of Palin Gench, exploring her diverse talents, accomplishments and the boundless world of her imagery. I hope you enjoyed the show. Hi, Palin. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How's your day going? Oh, it's been pretty fine. It's a beautiful spring day here and I'm in a good spring mood today. So how Fantastic. are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing pretty well. The first day of winter here, but it's it's not very wintry. It was actually quite warm. Even, even though we've got a jumper on now, it's it was quite warm today. It was probably about 21, 22 degrees Celsius. So it doesn't feel like winter yet. <laughs> Well, you're not having any winter. You're having the same season as the Northern Hemisphere then. Pretty much. So talk to me a little bit about who you are and why you do what you do. Okay. Maybe a little bit about my photography thing. I started photography for maybe more than a decade ago. And actually, it started with all about my, the serious photography thing started with all about my passion for long exposures. But before that, I was always, since my childhood, very much interested in photography. My mom used to have cameras and she would take our photos all the time. I still have them in the back here, Kodak film one, one, and the Polaroid one from 70s. So it's, I always, she always took photos and everything. I was always so curious about taking photographs. And at college, one of my friends who was studying media and stuff, he mm. took me to dark rooms and I was even more curious. But uh, then he landed, he lent me his Zenith and I went out to the streets to take photographs. But people were, oh, don't take photos of us. So I think it just somehow backfired me. And then I had to, I was more shy on things and I had to pause it for quite a while. Yeah. And then I had a very busy business life, a corporate life, a heavy one. I always wanted to take photographs, but 10-hour, 11-hour working days, I never could find time. Mm. And about 11, 12 years ago, I gave a break to my professional life at that time. And then I said, okay, I'm going to do whatever I wanted to do before, but I couldn't have time. 
So I was very much into photography, reading everything about photo photography, gears and how to learn photography and things like that. And I kept seeing all those light trails and floating clouds and silky waters. And I was, oh my God, how am I going to do that? Because at that time, most of the Turkish photography was a little bit travel photography, the countryside photography and the portraits. This was all the modern and new thing. 10, 15 years ago, I kept reading a lot of international stuff and tried to catch things online and everything. And then I would take my camera with me and then go out and practice every day. It was like, I want to do this. When you go to a restaurant, you see a delicious dessert and you want that. It was like that. And then I found an advanced photography course and asked, I want to do this. Can you teach me how to do that? And they said, yes. But of course, that was just the beginning <laughs> because... I'm by nature not satisfied with what anyone just gives me or teaches me. I just need to do it myself, need to perfect it, move it to a level up and things like that. So I kept on practicing and practicing. So it was all about the beautiful visions I saw, sorry, with long exposures. I simply fell in love with it. All those dreamy stuff and what you can... And as you practice, you master your camera and you master long exposure photography. You just get to figure out what kind of an outcome you're going to get. And that with that, I fell in love even more because it's so dreamy. It's so fantastic. You just bring out any beauty you want with long exposure. So this is how my journey started, actually. And then I kept on uh, taking photographs. And one day I met a friend. He was also very much about long exposures. It was just a coincidence. And he said, oh my God, you're just doing it like I do. You don't call a 10 seconds exposure a long exposure, but you do the filter thing in minutes of long exposures. Yep, yep. Thing. And he said, I have a little photography school and I want to make it different for uh, photography in Turkey. I want to just come out of the conventional things, but try to teach courses on new photography techniques too, like time-lapse and um, long exposures and other studio lighting stuff and things, uh, would you want to just join me? Um, and yeah. then I said, why not? It was like I didn't earn money out of it or something. It was more like a voluntary thing. Mm-hmm. We started a website. I started writing blogs, and they were like hitting top on Google Analytics on the prime time. It was going very well. And then we started making tours almost every weekend. And we would take people to beautiful landscapes on tours and help them how to take photographs, use filters and how to learn. It was very fun because I was all in photography and I was with people who wanted to learn photography and stuff like that. This went on and I was on the other side working in my day job. Uh, this went on for two years, and then there was. Th- then he had to, for specific reasons, close down the school. Mm-hmm. Um, I continued on my own, and then again at that very same time, I just came across a college friend of mine. She said, "I see you're having exhibitions, you're taking photographs and stuff. I'm taking photographs too, but I'm taking street f- photographs, yeah. and uh, we're going on workshops abroad. Would you want to join us?" 
uh, at that, uh, the thing on my mind, honestly speaking, I had not a single bit of interest in street photography, but I thought it could be fun with photographers going somewhere abroad on a workshop while yeah. they were shooting street. I can shoot my long exposures. And, but the, it didn't come out like that. We went to Paris together. That was my first street photography workshop. And then I figured the beauty of street photography there too. Then I said, I can be open to different genres. And um, in street photography, what I loved most was the geometry, the figures. And again, it was more like scales and everything we use in landscape photography, but it was the black and white approach. And um, if you saw my landscape photography, it's more of a minimal and uh, pretty much on a tranquil side because long exposures by definition give uh, most of the time that kind of an effect so i used that that style and embedded into street photography to the extent i can i'm not a pure street photographer or anything and most of the time i find some of these street photography styles not fitting me but this part is what I use from landscape photography into street photography and blended them so that's how I keep on my photography thing. It's a passion for me. Brilliant. I keep on doing this. And a year and a half ago, not a half ago, maybe more than just a year ago, I discovered NFTs. Actually, I discovered them in October 2021, but all I knew about NFTs were just PFPs and stuff like that. And I said, this is not for me. And then in, I think it was in February or March last year, yep. some of my friends from Instagram, they told me, okay, there's photography here, you should come and join and try. And that's just how I jumped in. And I'm pretty happy I did because I, apart from everything, the most important thing is I got to meet so many amazing, fantastic photographers from all around the world. It Mm. just expands your vision about photography in all genres, how you look at art, how you look at photography. It's like... Uh, photography festival you're in a photography festival 24 hours a day so it's fantastic that's the reason i love it the most and the reason why i'm staying in nfts actually so yeah. i talk a lot that's pretty much about me <laughs> uh, shortly. uh if you have specific questions i can uh, answer and yeah no worries i normally get into the why and the motivation behind the passion for landscapes in particular and i'm really interested in what switched your brain on to landscapes and long exposures in specifically to landscape specifically i'm a fan of nature when i sometimes when i see a tree i just want to go and hug the tree i practically spent all my summers inside the sea from 7 a.m. to, I don't know, until I go to bed in my old childhood. So I'm pretty much a fan of of nature itself. And I love beauty. And I love how beautiful the world we live in is actually. Mm. All our daily hustles and all the problems we have and living in big cities and stuff, we forget to see all this beauty around us. But... In essence, the world is created as a very beautiful place. Each and every city, each and every part of the world has its own beauty. And the reason why I love landscape photography, landscapes are the most untouched part of it. 
and I just want to, it's when I take the photograph of those landscapes, it's just, just somehow hugging that landscape or kind of having it, feeling it all together. And uh, yeah. that's what I love the most. And I want to show that beauty to everyone. It's more like trying to share that beautiful feeling I have with everyone. Mm -hmm. And and the other reason is, I think, I want to show, I want to display beauty. This can be aesthetics, this can be beauty, elegance, anything. The way you call beautiful is different, but all I want to do is I want to spread as a feeling that beauty, the beautiful world feeling, yeah. because... In our daily lives, we really forget about it. And I think that's a gift. Uh, the beauty of this world, the beautiful parts of this world is a gift. And I think because I love it myself that much, I want to display it. Landscapes are the perfect thing for that. And I love traveling a lot. Whenever I travel, whenever I discover a new landscape, that's also another passion for me. These are all, they just, it's like a net. It's one knot and the other one comes in and goes on like that. Yep. And uh, long exposures, because they are dreamy, because they are also, I think, uh, some kind of the ones I do are more tranquil, more subtle. And uh, again, it is a way of maybe finding a way for me to find peace in my old stressful and in this noisy and all kind of world. Yep. I, it's a different approach. Maybe most of the artists I see try to show the, the reality or the sometimes the bad things going on in the world and stuff. But yep. on the other hand, I think we see it a lot. So I want to show the beautiful parts that we yeah. neglect to see. That's the major reason why, I think. So it's well, all about my passion for going back to the beauty and the nature. Yeah, I, I think you've been very successful at that in, in looking at your, your portfolio and your, your Instagram feed, etc. Do you find it's important to plan your shoots or plan what you're doing or do you tend towards just going for spontaneity and just going out and doing what you want to do when you want to do it? I think it's important. But, of course, um, even if you do a research beforehand, if you do a research the day before, the mm -hmm. hour before, the things might come out differently because it's all about the weather. But mostly what I do is I try to do a research before I go to that place, if it's a closed place. I try to go to that place a day before or some few hours before and mm -hmm. try to see what kind of angles I can find or what's what the sunlight is going to be like. If I have such luxury, sometimes you don't. You just, when you're traveling, you just go there, you have two days and you come up with all you can. But if I have that luxury, I always try to do that. Now, I always try to understand at what time of the day, which place looks like what. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so I go there early if I can. I just set my gear and everything. I prepare for it. And then I always take a few demo short exposures see what the frame is going to look like yep. and also I take a few long exposures of the same frame just in case you have some kind of a sudden light change during sure. a couple yeah. of exposure or some kind of a focusing problem or something like that but I I just do research on that place if I can 
But even if you do, it's, oh, I'm going to, there have been so many times like that. I'm going to take this place at this time of the day. And then all of a sudden it rains or comes up. Yeah, you don't get the sky you want. Yeah. (laughs) A terrible cloud and you lose all the lights and stuff. So you try to make the best of what you can while you're traveling during that time period. Absolutely. What's your approach to photography as it relates to experience? So that experiential photography, which is, as you said, quite common in 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 photography, the in in the photography world, and how that sort of transcends into artistic modes of photography. So when did that start for you? When did you actually realize ah? It's not about just taking the pretty picture of what's in front of me. I'm now actually starting to generate art out of my photography. Okay. Okay. I think that started with the mentor I had in street photography because he's a real artist. Although our genres are totally different, our approach is totally different. The way when we look at a frame is at the same place at the same time are different outcomes. Uh, Because he's an artist, he didn't teach me anything about photography. He just taught me how to see things from an art perspective. I think that's what I gained from him. So it's, he just gave me that vision. And I think that's when I started to think that a good photograph doesn't always mean an artistic one. You can come up with a perfect uh, perfect technique of the photograph when you look at it you put it into competition or anything it's it gets a hundred percent perfect technique but but it has to have some kind of a feeling of your own or uh, some kind of a style uh, so whenever people look at your photographs they should buy color by its colors for example mm. or by its style or by the feeling it gives uh, they should be able to say, okay, this is her photograph, yeah. that's her colors, or that's her peaceful scene, and stuff like that. They should be able to recognize it. So this is actually a part of your feelings or your own nature, some kind of reflected to photography. I think what I call an artistic photograph is this one, not just trying to come up with uh, different messages or something because I believe the beauty is in the eyes of the uh, the one who sees the photograph. So Absolutely. everyone can think of or can feel something different. But um, if you can reflect how you feel, and I think or your style, if it can be somehow ingrained in that photograph, there comes the artistic part of it. I think, and that's how I I started to look at photographs like that when I met him and when he was my mentor. I think that's pretty much those three photography workshops gave me in terms of seeing photography from a different perspective. Yeah, okay. I'm interested in digging into that a little bit deeper and understanding how some of those elements of street photography have bled into your landscape photography now. Not the street photography, actually, but the way seeing things from the way of having your own style, the way of uh, mm-hmm. reflecting your um, feelings into um, your photographs, not just oh. taking a photograph, which is perfect in, in terms of techniques, or in ter- but, but also it's not the branding, but it's there is something every photographer loves. For example, I love soft colors. I love yep. dreamy scenes. 
I love simple or peaceful stuff in my photographs. This is what I love. And if I can somehow manage to reflect it as a style in the frames I shoot, then I find it a way of art. I'm not just taking a photograph, but it's always reflecting or seeing the frame with my own style or extracting whatever there is and putting my own style, polishing it with my own style. This is what I learned, actually. Nothing about street photography transcends into landscapes, but this is just a vision, just understanding in general that as a person, if you want to be unique, if you want to be your own, not just doing any other photography, I think this is, there are photographers, you realize that it's their photograph whenever Mm. you look at it. That's what I'm trying to say, actually. Yeah. I'm interested also in the creativity and experimentation side of photography. How do you stay motivated to experiment with new ideas and techniques? I think, I don't know, I never thought about it, but I always love to try new things. And earlier when I started, I would just read a lot and see different experimental things. Mm -hmm. And um, then I would say, would that really work? Or is that magazine or that blog post just talking about something? I would just go out and try. And then as you start to try, you also start to master your camera and what you can do with the camera. And as you start to learn about lighting and stuff, you just get more brave or courageous, whatever the word is, I don't know, in trying new things. And there were things that I tried myself. If I do this, how do I think the outcome is going to be? It's just like trial and error because you need to do it all by yourself. Just give yourself time. Uh, Go try different things, different stuff. If I do this, how it's going to end up? If it ends up bad, it can because it's experimental. Just it's okay. If not, just I just try whatever comes, just pops up in my mind. But to do that, I think I think what I what years have taught me also is seeing. Not just you start to see when I look at a frame, a photograph I took ten years ago. I. Maybe I could have seen this frame differently if I looked at it right now, is what I say. I think it's your own inner development. And so the major thing is the way you see it. And I think your assistants are your camera. So camera is not your primary thing, although long exposures rely heavily on gear because you need them, but they're not the primary thing. First, you need to envision uh, a frame, envision something, and then you need to uh, find a a composition for that. And then comes the lighting and everything. And then you need to master your equipment so that you can come up with whatever you want. So it's, they're all, in my opinion, work, they all work together. But first you need to envision something. And for that, I think practice and practice as long as you, the more you practice, the more you start to try new things, the more you start to see things differently. And you just start seeing things, the things maybe you failed to see before. So I think that's the key for that, for me, at least. You mentioned the, in experimentation, that you're going to have failures and setbacks. How do you deal with that? Because you obviously, as you say, have this envisioned 
idea in your head of what it is that you want to create, but then mm-hmm. you fail to create it. And so you don't always fail, but when you do, how do yeah, you do it? doesn't that? come up the way you want. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, how do I deal with it? Yeah. Is it ah, I just say, okay, I just try to figure out why it didn't. Was it from a technical perspective? Was I... Did I do not- something wrong with the camera? Yeah. Yeah, did I do something wrong with the camera or was the was the place that I wanted to do it, the composition, not the perfect one, not the uh, great one for that? I just try to look at it. Sometimes I do try experimental things out of desperation. That's, for example, one day I had some beautiful, beautiful clouds. They were mm. puffer clouds, so beautiful. On the, on the Asian um, side of Istanbul, there is a big, there's a big coast where people walk and it's like beaches but a walkway or riding way and stuff and it's also a very easy place to set your tripod and take photographs yeah. i saw puffy clouds and then i just rushed took my gear and just went to the asian side to take photographs and when i was doing that i figured out that it was in the afternoon i left my big stopper at home so i was with a three-stop nd and mm-hmm. a polarizer and left the other Andes at home by accident. So I said, oh, my God, what am I going to do? How am I going to make this? And then I said, okay, I'm going to try um, multiple exposures of three seconds because I, all I could get was, I think, three seconds or five seconds yeah, right. at most. I'm going to try three uh, photographs on top of each other, see if I can get a 15 seconds uh, effect or something like that with it. So yeah. it worked. That was for example, stuff like that, or oftentimes I, I'm very terrible at that. When I'm when it's a rocky seascape, I can one in four trips, let me say, drop my filter on a rock, and such times I just keep on trying stuff like that just to get an effect, just not to make myself totally sorry about the situation. Sometimes. I try things in situations like that. So it just comes to my mind, pops up my mind. Oh, what am I going to do? I just can't miss this scene, but I need to do something kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you mentioned expressing the feeling in mm-hmm. your work. How do you feel when you're actually in the field? Oh, I'm, I'm a bit, for example... <laughs> I just totally get lost. I forget to eat. I forget to drink water. <laughs> I forget the track of time. And sometimes to faraway places, more of a deserted kind of places, we just go with a tour, like a couple of people together. Sure. And then there is a time we need to leave to come back home. But it's always me that they drag at the end of the uh, trip. Okay, just, just. Close down your tripod. Everyone's waiting for you. I'm going to take one more shot. I'm going to take one more. I really lose track of time. I really forget about everything. Um, And like, I don't know. It doesn't really matter if it's 5 a.m. in the morning. I just wake up for that scene. I just arrange my own vacations even um, to places where I can wake up early uh, to shoot photographs sometimes it's very disturbing for my friends because in the middle of the dinner I can see a beautiful blue hour scene and leave them at the table and say yeah I'm gonna go out and take photographs I'm gonna shoot and come back and they get really disappointed with that or yeah I've, uh, I've done that to my family a few times 
<laughs> yeah, but it's it's pretty much who I am. I when I'm when it's going to be a full focus, I want to take photographs trip. I try to travel alone or with a photographer. Yeah, right. Um, uh, but even on vacations, I do that. It's just I forget about everything. It's and then I see something. Oh, I go like that. And for example, I have. It was the first NFT I sold. It was. It was taken at down a few sailboats in a bay. There are mountains behind, and it was really blue hour in the morning, purplish pinks and stuff. And I remember that moment perfectly well. It was 4:30 a.m. or something. I woke up. Yep. I figured that it was going to be a beautiful sunrise because sometimes it's so misty in summer uh, because of the changing heat or because there are clouds. And then I just put on my lenses and then I think I rushed to the sea like that. And then it was, there was no one. It was so silent. It was so beautiful. And it was like all those beautiful colors. And I love sunrise because it's like, you just wake up to a new day everything you know refreshes itself it was so beautiful i just set the camera but i just was so amazed also watching the view and then i took uh, and i was taking that photograph i think it's five or ten seconds i don't know and i knew that's again experimental i knew that if there would be a little tide one of those boats would just shake and move and it was all going to be ruined so when i was taking photograph i was just praying like that please don't move please don't move please don't move no and because it was 5 a.m in the morning i just managed um a short long exposure yep and then the tide started and then the sun started to come up and then i started out time lapse uh with that and went back and I did grab myself a cup of coffee. And when there was that time lapse, I just watched the world waking up. And that was beautiful. Yeah. So that was one experimental thing I did. And the other one, for example, <clears throat> the floating away uh, picture I have, it's in. It's also uh, on foundation. It's uh, an old fishing boat by the lake. It's pretty much a minimal one with a colorful boat and yep. the rest is like <clears throat> it's a long exposure and i was again so lucky the thing about that boat it's just a colorful old boat you might say but in that fishing village it's a very famous fishing village yeah. all the fishing boats are dark brown wood okay so when i went to that village i said oh how dull this is how am i gonna take photographs there is no color in here and it's a lake and then I saw that boat. It was colorful. All they, I think it was somebody left it out there. So it was yeah, kind right. of torn And it was a little bit stuck in the mud, the front part of it. It mm. doesn't really show on the surface of the water. But I said, because it's stuck in the mud, there is a possibility that the water, if there is no wind, it's not going to move. And yep. I can try for a long exposure. And if I do, I can come up with a beautiful uh, minimal scene. I'm pretty sure about that. So it was I, for the angle, I just had to do some kind of acrobatic moves and set the tripod in a very uh, weird, stupid <laughs> place. And it worked too. Mm. Um, it's really low tide, no winds. And it was half stuck uh, in the water, so it didn't move. 
So this is, you just try out. Sometimes it doesn't work. There is a wind yeah. and it floats all your scene away. <laughs> it's, you just try and come up with something or not. Nice. How do you define success with your photography? Uh, I don't define it like many others do with sales or with stuff like that. I define it with, if I like that photograph myself very much, if I can somehow relate it with myself after, if, after some time passes, and if I look at that photograph months or years later, and I still love that photograph, just the moment I loved it when I took it, I think I define it as success, which means timeless, which means I still love it. I still have the same feelings for that photograph. Yeah. And I think that's what I call success for my own self. And the rest is very subjective because any sales or anyone else loving your photographs or not, those are very subjective things. But the main reason why I do photography is to express how I feel and to, it's more of an inner thing for me. And, and if I can maintain it, if I can somehow maintain it and sustain it. So that's success for me, I think. Fantastic. Fantastic. How do you think cultural and social perspectives influence the way that we perceive and take photos of landscapes? I think it, it cultural and social aspects the way I think the way it affects me most is maybe gender differences. Because as a woman, it is very difficult to travel to many deserted places or beautiful landscapes on your own. Yeah. I find it sometimes hard from a, both maybe from your physical strength and also from security reasons. Yeah. So I think, and in more conservative cultures, this becomes even more difficult, I think. At times, I try to, if I want to go to places like that, I often travel with company. Yeah. Yeah, travel with friends, other photographer friends. If I travel alone for landscapes or for any kind of photography, it is mostly to places that I find secure, that I find that I can be, I can feel safe on my own. Oh. Because that's, I think that affects a lot how you do photography as a woman. And I don't know how it's going to change because uh, it has many things have to change for it. So it's Absolutely. much easier for me to take photographs in Europe in comparison to different places of the world. I don't know. And I think for landscapes, also from cultural perspectives, uh, people need to learn. Uh, that's what I try to do all the time. Yeah. Uh, if you're traveling to a foreign country or to some place, uh, even uh, to a city in your own country, mm. you need to learn the cultural values of those people. Even if you're going to yeah. take landscapes, it is about the respect to their lifestyles. It is about how they see those places, how they perceive those places. And the way you act or any of your behaviors, even if they're not intended for any kind of disrespect or to disturb anyone can be perceived like that so before i go there i try to learn uh, those aspects and try to be very respectful to everyone's own lifestyles actually i try to understand it yeah. and i being a turkish person we have a centuries millenniums old history in the land we live 
So I value and a blend of cultures. It's a blend of cultures, of civilizations, of religions and everything. And I, I am a fan of cultural heritage and history. Mm. And I value a lot of all our cultural and historical, the, the richness in my own country, for example. Yeah. I love to show it to the extent I can. And I respect it a lot. And I would actually, sometimes I get disappointed if I see people not figuring out the value, the cultural value it has in it, the historical value it yeah. has in it. If I see people not respecting it a lot, this is this is also another motivation for me, preserving, somehow archiving that cultural heritage in my photographs. Yeah, absolutely. I love it a lot, yes. Yeah. I think what you've said there is quite important, particularly for places like Turkey, where you're on that crossroads between Asia and Europe. You've got elements of both sort of cultures there. You've got the history of the Silk Road and, and trade routes and everything that flow through there. And, and the I, I think that richness that's there is, as you say, really important to try and preserve and to, to archive. And I think a lot of people, even here in Australia, which is quite a westernised country, we have our own ancient history with Aboriginal people yes. and the landscapes and their relationship with the landscapes. And it's to me, it's really important to capture some of that in your work so that people, as you say, can actually start to understand it. I've never been to Australia, but all the photographs I've seen, I am so amazed with the landscapes in Australia and New Zealand and the aubergines, all of that. And I want to do it one day, travel. I, I actually, my plans for 2020, starting from 2019, were to travel to Far East and to Australia. And I was going to start with Bali in, yep. in February 2020. And then COVID happened. Yeah, and then yeah. I halt and pause all of the far travels now maybe in a few years time i can just revive that plan back again i'm really amazed with australian seascapes yeah. and land I'm, I'm amazed also with what i've seen both from your work and other people's work place places in turkey and around some of the middle eastern and eastern european areas that I've not been to myself. And as you said, my, my wife and I, we actually planned to do a Silk Road trip from Western China all the way over to Europe in 2020, but that didn't happen for obvious reasons. And I'm not sure when we're going to put that back on the agenda, but because uh, <laughs> we've got on to other things since then. But I think it's wonderful sharing those locations as, as much as people can. Yeah. I used, when I was a kid, because there was no internet and stuff, we used to have all those atlases and National yep. Geographic magazines in our homes. And I used to flip their pages all the time, a lot, so many times. And yeah, uh, yeah. I would love those, those ocean photographs and those little islands. I think they were at that time taken from helicopters because yeah. there were no drones stuff like that and sure. there were all these foamy waves just you know surrounding the islands and all those rocky landscapes and stuff by the sea and i was yeah. i think maybe 
I was so amazed with them. I just thought I just want to travel and see those places. But because things were not so online and everything was not so easy when we were kids, I thought that was some kind of an impossible dream to achieve or something like that. Yeah. And But today it's pretty much easy. We're not just that young anymore, but we can still do it, I think. so. Definitely. Where do you travel most? What are the places that you keep going back to, both in Turkey and also outside? What locations keep calling okay. you? In, in Turkey, I love the West Coast. Mm. I love to travel the West Coast because on the West Coast, you can find seascapes, landscapes. Yep and also um, very ancient cities. And I love a few cities in the southeastern uh, part of Turkey, but I don't think I'm going to be able to travel there for a while because after the earthquake. And the reason why I love it is because there are also a mix of cultures, of civilizations and stuff from years and years. And I also, I am a fan of Istanbul. I discover places I, I do photography projects. Some of them are documentary. Some of them are more cultural heritage related. That's a couple of yep. photographers who come together. We do it. It's just to be together with photographers, but also to maybe archive things and stuff like a lot more life related things. And I discover places in Istanbul that I haven't seen before. And I some of the landscape photographs are I took them in Istanbul and no one can believe it because it's a big city with almost 20 million yeah. people now. Yeah. And 16 people and it's noisy and it's crowded and stuff. How did you come up with this photograph, they say? And I say, it's just right in, the, in front of your eyes and you just don't look at it. Um, so I love taking those photographs. And abroad, I love the Adriatic Sea. So I love to travel to Balkans a lot. It's mm. mostly Montenegro, Croatia. And I am a fan of those countries, their landscapes. They're pretty much untouched. Yeah. And I just rent a car. Uh, they're so easy to travel. And there's a beautiful coastal road. And nice. it's it's two, one to two hours flight from here. So, yeah. And the countries are small. They're pretty much similar in climate. And there is no time zone difference. So it's easy to adjust to those kind of things. And I love the fact that the nature is untouched. So I just put all my gear and tripod and everything on the back of the car. I just travel and stop wherever I want, take photographs, keep on traveling. And I I love uh, visiting those two countries a lot. Yes. Yeah, In terms of lifestyle, how where does photography fit? Is it a full-time thing for you now or is it still something that you do and try and fit in between work and, and family? It's pretty much of a full-time, it's turning out to be a more of a full-time thing right now. I still need to back things up financially with other stuff, yep. Yep. but to the extent I can shift it to full-time photography, that's what I want to do, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So the because, plan is to eventually yes. Yes. just work in photography? Yeah. Yes. How's the plan going? Is it is it working so far? I think it was working, but it was very much posed by COVID. And right now, I I started to revive it again. And I had some kind of family stuff I had to take care of in the past few months. It's been sorted out so I can have my own time. So I'm planning on starting workshops 
uh, yeah. of long exposures looked I'm using filters and stuff like that little by little and then um, shift to some kind of a full-time thing with photography um, this is what I'm planning to do actually because of COVID it had to I had to pause it because nobody was very much into going out to places, coming close to each other and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. But right now, I think it's a good time to, for their comeback. Yeah, yeah. What's the most memorable experience you've had taking photos? Okay, there's one. <laughs> that was once I was traveling to... Oh, by the way, I also love traveling to Greek islands close to Turkish coast. Ah, there are some uh, because I get to have vacation during the day and I get to take photographs early in the morning and in the blue hour. So it's, and I think it was the first time I was traveling to that <laughs> Greek island. It's actually very close. It's half an hour's ferry uh, from the Turkish coast. And it's a big island relative to the other ones. Yep. Um, but also a very undeveloped one in comparison to the others. And I know that many people from the Turkish coast even take day trips there. They go there, okay. eat and come back and stuff. So all the southern part of the island is full of Turkish people. Oh. And I said, I'm not going for dining and stuff or vacationing with Turkish people, but I just want to go out and take photographs. <laughs> that's why I want to try the northern side of the island where there are very few people because the roads are not that good so most of the time people uh, don't travel up that much too mm. and I arranged a hotel for me on the northwestern part of the island and they say that was also the village Homer Homeros was born and stuff I thought I could find again something cultural with that and the hotel owner just and describe me how to drive there just take the road from inside the woods inside the pine forest not the one on the coast and stuff okay and then I rented the car and loaded things on it and I was driving I just she said there is no reception until you you get close to the hotel so just right. follow how I describe you the road and when you get reception you can use google maps going on and I said okay and then when I had the reception I was also seeing the sea uh, I just followed it but this just led me to I think a beach a bay before the hotel and th that was the road and all of a sudden in the middle of the road ended and there was sand and the car was stuck in sand Wow! <laughs> and it was deserted and you have reception and you don't have the reception. And I, I think it was coming close to noontime. Noontime means 38 to 40 degrees in summer in such an island. And I was just, I didn't know what to do because I had no reception. I couldn't take the car out of the sand. I couldn't leave the car because I didn't know where to go. And I said, okay, I'm going to melt here, turn into some kind of a jellyfish and whatever. And then I saw two old... Two old men, 75 years old, I think, on the beach. They just came and put a sun umbrella and opened up their chairs and sat. And I rushed to them. Maybe they would, but they were Greek grandpas. Yeah. And they spoke not a single word of English. So we couldn't understand each other. No Turkish, so no English. 
I was again disappointed, went back to the car, just said, okay, I just don't know what to do. I was about, I was just about to cry. And then it was like in a cowboy movie, the heat comes up, it turns into a team thing. And then it was like that. And then inside that came a truck. And then a man just came down the truck. He just took out a rope, put it in front of my car and pulled the car out. Wow. I was, it was like a miracle. And I said, how did you know I was here? How did you come this equipped and stuff? Because I couldn't even call anyone or something. Yeah. He said, it happens to all of us all the time. I live here. I was going to the beach with my family. So we always have ropes and stuff with each other. I just saw your car and figured it out. And I just said, thank you. Wow. And then uh, he showed me the way to the hotel. And when I went to the hotel owner said, then started the miracles. Okay. I, because you told me that you were a photographer, I upgraded your room to oh. one with a beautiful sunrise. And it's not a room, it's a suit, she said. Ah, it, it had a huge terrace and it was wonderful. And I was, okay, I said, now my luck is. And then she said, at sunset, we have a beautiful restaurant and the sunset view is wonderful. You can just, I'm going to give you um, a bottle of wine, enjoy it, and then take photographs and do whatever you want. Fantastic. And then that day, yes, that day, there is this Pink Horizons photograph I have. Yep. It was taken after that adventurous day, actually. <laughs> uh, it was, I was trying to relax at the sunset after all this adventure and things. And I took that beautiful photograph. So each and every time I look at that photograph, it's actually some kind of a photograph. It just makes me relaxed so much. But the background story has (laughs) all this stuck in the sand and getting no help. That's marvelous. (laughs) Background story is pretty much different. What have you learned about the world through photography? Oh, I think I learned a lot about humans. And I can say that my understanding and relationship with humans might have improved a lot after photography. Because even if you take landscape photographs, it doesn't matter. Uh, You just get to learn uh, how other people live in other places. Mm. I try not to be like tourists, but try to be one of them. So I talk to them. I try to understand their lifestyles. And if you understand how life goes on in that very specific place, then it's much easy for you to to take photographs there because you get familiar with that place, be uh, someone of that place, and then you take that photograph with that. So there is, for example, a small town in southeast, the southwest coast of Turkey that I try. It's a small village that I try to go there quite often. And people know me now. Yeah, you don't come to take photographs. We missed you. They sometimes DM me and stuff like that. Okay. Um, I I learned their lifestyle. I know at um, early in the morning at 6 a.m., the old village lady just wakes up and uh, bakes bread. uh, on the uh, wood fire and then I know the fishermen who would go out um, first in the early morning who would wash the streets and stuff so you get to learn their own lifestyle 
and it becomes a part of you and then you take the photograph i think that's that's pretty much what i learned a lot awesome in terms of getting the shot and then getting home and then processing are you one that goes straight to the computer gets all the photos downloaded and gets into editing or do you leave it for a while if i love the photos I took very much, I just rushed to the computer because I lost some of my photographs in some of my trips due to some SD card errors. Right now, it has become a practice just to immediately upload them to my computer and then back them up. Uh, But for editing, if I particularly love a photograph among them all very much, I just don't even sleep. I rush and I edit it, and then I just come up with the photograph. If I'm not very satisfied with the photographs, I do. Leave them for later. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a new thing. But on the other hand, I think long exposures and landscape photography, because we shoot them in RAW and because there are a lot of high uh, dynamic range. Yeah. Dynamic range and all those stuff. I think editing is... Also, a fine processing is also very important in coming up with a good photograph. Absolutely. Uh, I'm of the same opinion that it's equally as important as the field work. Yes. Uh, I know that the, I've and I've interviewed quite a few people that say they don't like editing and I'm going to say, you, you don't like half of your photography. <laughs> yeah, because it is hidden in your raw file, all that beautiful things. And, yeah. Uh, I think also editing is part of your art because editing is how you interpret what as long as it is not as long as it's fine you can choose the white balance uh, as long as it's not so unnatural the way you want or just shine out some parts and hide some other parts it's all about editing is all about your interpretation again and the absolutely it's also part of the feel you want to give to the photograph. So I think yeah. it's important. One one of the things I've gotten into recently, and t- you mentioned white balance, and that's selective white balance. So mm-hmm. with the ability to do masking now in uh, Lightroom or Adobe Camera Raw, the ability then comes that you can actually say, okay, I want the sky a different white balance to I want the water or the land or or whatever, or I want that particular group of trees to be a different white balance. So you can actually selectively change your white balance across the image so that you've got multiple white balance levels for different different areas. Yes. A lot of things have improved in Lightroom. Photography. Definitely, yeah. Have you got into the playing around with the generative fill yet? No. I had no, a play around with that. It comes up with some interesting results. Some of them good, some of them not so good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm still stuck to photography itself for now. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I had a play around with it just to see what it can mm-hmm. and can't do. It can't do people yet. People. Yeah, a lot of, yeah, yeah, a lot of people really start with curiosity, I think, and then it becomes a habit I've seen in some of the people. So I just try to stay away from it yeah. as much as I So what, what about planning? How how many hours would you spend planning? You mentioned you, you do a bit of uh, planning for your shoots. Uh, how long? Do, first, first off, do you shoot knowing how you're going to process or do you process knowing how you've shot? 
Oh, interesting question, actually. I think I process knowing how I shot. Yeah, okay. Not sure, actually. Or maybe it depends. I don't know. Sometimes... I know I shoot a certain way because I'm going to process it, process it a certain way. It's not every shot, but quite quite a yeah. lot. Of, yeah, quite a lot of my shooting. I, I do a lot of bracketing to manage dynamic range. Uh, I shoot that way because I know I'm yeah. going to process for that dynamic range. Yes, I think so. Pretty much most of the time, yes, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how I Go on. How I plan, how much, how long I plan, uh, it depends on where it is. If it's, uh, if it's a, for example, a day trip to somewhere in, in my own country, it's not much of a plan. It's a plan of getting to know the photography spots. I do a research. I try to see what other photographs were taken there. Yep. And I do a research about history and culture and any national parks or specific days that you can shoot at certain places and you can't. For example, if that national park is closed on Thursday and if you go on a Thursday, then it's boom. It's yeah, yeah. Uh, I do research like that. And I also try to do weather research, how the weather is going to look like. So if there are a few spots that I'm going to travel, I try to arrange which spot to go when depending on the weather forecast too. Yeah, yeah. So this is pretty much the planning I do, not more. Okay. And also what I'm going to wear, if it's too cold, if it's too hot. Or sure, stuff like sure. That. Yeah. Do you print much of your work? I used to actually. I used to sell prints, but after COVID, Again, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. the supply of some of the, the real fine art paper and the framing material too. There are pro print shops in Istanbul that we that yep. do our exhibition printings and stuff. I always work with them in prints and they had difficulties in getting supplies in on, with the with the glass, with the frames, yep. and even with the fine art paper. It became so expensive here in Turkey wow. printing. And as a result, not so much appealing to customers. Yeah. But every now and then, there are print requests, so I do it. That's That was also the major reason why I shifted to things in digital, actually. Yeah. Otherwise, I love prints. Yeah. Um, I'm the same. I, think, I don't think a photo is really finished until it's there in print. And for the photographs I print, of course, prints uh, might come up pretty much different than what on digitals. There is also a third processing or work there, I think, in terms of arranging colors, Absolutely. the correct color, uh, yeah. scale and the noise or other stuff that could come in printing. For each and every photograph, I said this is for sale in prints. I take, I make demo prints of the photograph. In yeah. different because also with different fine art papers they come up in different colors like if Absolutely. you come up uh, with a Borita uh, fine art paper then comes a different color with a William Turner it comes out yellowish and stuff so it's you need to try each and every different paper type mm. photographs so I just prepare them with small uh, prints see if I'm satisfied with the prints, with that kind of paper and this um, 
photograph in digital. We make an archive with the print shop. This one goes with this, this one goes with this kind yeah, of thing. Well. And then each time I receive an order, I just ask them to print this one to that paper. It's a, a pre-job, pre-processing we do together with the print shop, but it's mm. so ready. Whenever I receive an order, I can come up with good print quality yeah, clients. That's great advice, getting to know your printer and know the papers and the processes they use and talking to them and communicating with them is really important, I think. And as you say, having that archive of what you're going to use and what paper is going to be used is, is really important. And, and oh. I also got that habit in COVID, in lockdown days, because in lockdown, they also locked down the print shops, some of yeah, them, yeah. or in some areas and other areas. So I have a main print shop that I prefer to work with, but I also have an auxiliary one um, that I tried a few prints with them. If that one uh, doesn't work because of lockdowns or anything, then I can <laughs> deliver uh, yeah, uh, yeah. the order to the other ones. It's, those things are all we got to arrange because of COVID. Mm -hmm. How do you push past creative blocks or creative walls that come up net from time to time? And how do you, have you got any strategies that you use that you found successful? Uh, how do I do that? There are a few photographer friends I love to shoot with. And whenever I just feel like not shooting or I feel that I'm in a circle going on like that, not doing any, I just ask them, let's go out for a photo walk together because yeah. I'm with them. It just, it's a boosting uh, thing. It's just taking casual photographs and spending time. It just brings back my, my energy for photography back. And then I start taking photographs. I think that's the first thing I do. Mm. And the second one is, I used to do that a lot lately. Again, I call it a pre-COVID and after COVID era. Pre-COVID, I would also just grab my camera, hop on a plane, just go anywhere, wherever. It doesn't yeah. matter. And that's what I would do. Uh, after COVID, of course, we couldn't do that. What I did instead... <laughs> And I was even, because we weren't even allowed to go out without masks and yep. with a night home and a mask, it's impossible to take photographs. And and then iPhone started Apple Raw, Pro Raw, uh, yep. putting them. And then my friends just, they said, okay, you can't live without taking photographs and you're locked inside the home and you're not taking your camera out or anything. So we're going to get you a brand new iPhone. And a few friends, just they just gifted me an iPhone that would, that would take a row of photographs. And then at lockdowns, I would go out and take photographs with them. Mm. And also do a still life project and a self-portrait project that they were collectives. Yeah. Uh, we would also do it at home to just get over the creative block. It's not landscapes or anything, but it's still you're somehow don't keep your ties with photography and yeah. be involved in photography. So it's there are many ways, but the usual way I do is I have a couple of friends I love to shoot with. I just call them. We go on a casual photo walk. Yeah. Boost me back, yes. 
What do you see as the biggest challenge facing photography right now? AI. <laughs> uh, the biggest challenge facing photography is, I think, I think there are a few of them. The reason sometimes we forget why we take photographs. Mm. Um, of course, it's a beautiful thing to earn money out of photographs. And I love it. I love that something beautiful. I generate something beautiful of my own with my own feelings and is valued in terms of dollars, in terms of money, in terms of eat, whatever. But it is not the main reason I take photographs. Yeah. It, is, it is a bonus. It is something great. I love being paid with the beautiful things I do. But if the focus shifts to making money only, then you lose all your passion in taking photographs. Yeah. That's what I've been observing for the past year a lot yeah. in the NFT place. I see my friends whining. I just don't go out and take photographs anymore or stuff like that. Yeah. Because the focus has shifted now all about to all selling. It's good. And I think it is it's good. I feel very proud when I do that and stuff. It's wonderful. I don't say yeah. I just don't want to be misunderstood, but the very essence is doing what you love, what you like to do. I I think this could be one of the major dangers to photography. And unfortunately, AI, of course, an AI photograph, I don't think, I don't call it even a photograph. It's not a photograph because it is something you have in your mind and you just say it to a computer, which that computer is man-made also, and, yeah. and that generates something to you. I, I don't know. I don't think they can be replaced or they, they can just, it, it doesn't mean photographs or anything, but I'm afraid some people don't know the difference. And, or yeah. even if they do, they might prefer the AI one around. And so photography is not just uh, pushing the shutter. It has, no, it. it has so many things involved in it. And that's why I respect each and every photographer and mm. each and every photograph. It could be my style. It might be totally out of my style. It doesn't matter. It has a lot of things that specific photographer put in it. Yeah. Um, so it deserves a lot of respect. And it's just one single moment that I don't think you can ever replicate again. No, definitely not. That's why it's unique. And you can't replicate it again. And if anyone else would just stand right next to you and you would ask them to take the same photographs, uh, they can come up with the same one too. So it's pretty much unique. And that's why it deserves... A lot of value, a lot of love, a lot of attention. And I just, what's danger is that this kind of respect, love, or value, appreciation maybe is not really figured out. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, one of the one of the things that I see is that journalism is going to be, or journalistic photography in particular is probably going to be a major friction point for AI because mm-hmm. people are able to generate anything they want and they could generate 
anyone they want doing anything they want, which therefore means that you could have a, an issue in trying to prove or trying to say this is or isn't real. And the challenge there will be people that don't have the skills or don't have the the knowledge or the interest in finding out about how AI is changing that part of the world. Therefore, they're going to be convinced, oh, I saw this person doing that, therefore that's true, even though that person has never even been in that place and would never even contemplate doing whatever it was that they've got them doing. You know, So for me, I think it's it, it, the journalistic side of things is going to be very challenging in the future. And it's not just it's not just photography, it's video as well. You know, so t- TV news reporting. And we've already seen, I think, the, the there was an instance a little while ago where people had staged or used AI to generate image of Trump getting arrested. And that got picked up by news outlets yeah. saying, oh, he's been arrested when he hadn't. Yeah. And then you have to do a lot of things to prove it the other way around exactly yes, the burden of proof then goes against the the people that may be sitting yeah. there innocently being victimized by those sorts of things yeah so they have to i i don't know how it's but it, it, there 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 might be a lot of dangerous parts of ai in terms of this mm, so it has definitely. to be i don't know how figured out to stop this kind of things, yes. Okay. What do you see as the future of photography? Oh, honestly, the future of photography, if, if AI doesn't take over photography, I think the future, I think the future of photography is pretty much gonna be on on more artistic visions. I would say, yeah, because photographers, as generations change, photographers and their visions change as well. And maybe a lot of stuff will lie how digitalized the equipment are going to be, how easy to carry the equipment are going to be, how easy to transfer (laughs) what you shoot to computers is going to be. I think a lot of investment in photography is going to be done in that. And drones have been a thing, um, maybe... It can be even more uh, uh, more of a fashion in the future because it's people love to take photographs from yeah. <laughs> high above. If, if AI doesn't take over photography, I think it's going to be going on like that and reflect more of the views of the uh, younger generation, I think. They're, yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Are there any photographers out there that you think I should be talking to on the podcast? Ah, landscape photographers, you mean? Yeah, just one or two. I love, as a landscape photographer, Armand's photographs a lot. Armand Sarlan, you know him? Yep, I know Armand, yeah. Yes, I love his landscape photographs. And Mm. John Podesta, if you haven't talked to him, he has... I haven't spoken to him yet, yeah. He has beautiful Italian landscapes that you should be talking to. And if we're limiting things to landscape photography... um, I have a couple of other landscape photographers. There are Irish ones, Paul Killian, mm-hmm. Scottish Paul Moon. They have beautiful landscape photographs. Yep. And if we're extending the genres, there are even more photographers that we yeah. can talk about. 
I don't know if we're extending it to, but you're not, right? It's pretty much filtered. Landscape, landscape, seascape, cityscape, astro, street creeps. Uh, astro, astro, Mustafa Aydın, he's a Turkish photographer friend of mine. He has okay. top-notch astro photographs. And just like Gianluca Enrico Fossati, he's also an Italian photographer. Yeah. He has photographs. And these are the names that come into my mind, landscape at the, yeah, you should just try and talk to them. Their their photographs are beautiful. Thank I you can send much. you Twitters if you like. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. Okay. I've got one more question for you, and for many of the the listeners, it's the most important and probably the most divisive issue in photography at the moment. Do you like pineapple on pizza? <laughs> no, <laughs> pineapple on pizza is. <laughs> I didn't think you would. <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoy my t- Turkish pizza and it's definitely, not, there's no pineapple. I, I, I like the real Italian pizza, but pineapple on pizza, is it a thing in Australia? Or it is something? a thing in Australia, yeah. <laughs> I know uh, a couple of friends living there, they say they love it. And yeah. I, I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> I'm pretty much of an old school Italian pizza person. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me to, today, Palin. It's been really great getting to know you a little bit better. Where can people find your work? Okay, people can find my work as NFTs on Foundation and on Sloika mostly mm-hmm. and, um, and also on my Instagram. I have a website. Uh, I used to write blog posts of my travels on that blog post in Turkish because I had a lot of Turkish audience that loved reading it. But lately, I also had a had an English version of the uh, website too. This year, I'm planning on starting blog posts in English so that many other people, I can have reached to many other people that are not Turkish. I, I briefly summarize where my works are on my website, sure. but um, mostly they can reach them through my link tree. That's also on my Twitter profile. All right, no worries. I'll make sure there's links to those places in the show notes. Thanks again, Pilot. Thanks so much for such a beautiful chat. It's been, I know I talk a lot, but... <laughs> oh, that's fine. The more talking you do, the less I have to do, which is absolutely fine. Thank you so much for having me as your guest. Thank An you. absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon.